Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for 20-plus years and past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. With Sharon, I'm excited for the podcast today. Well, you know I'm always excited to have Randy Moore with us. Absolutely. We are recording live from Mid-Year Assembly where some wonderful CRNAs have gathered and Randy's given us a few minutes of his time. And what's the title of today's podcast, Sharon? Well, we have to lay this one at your feet. This was a brilliant idea that my co-host Jeremy had. And in his mind, he thinks that we need to look at what would happen if the AANA did not exist. Yeah, so this is part of our What If series, and we're going to do several of these. But really thought it would be important to have Randy talk about some of this stuff since he's leading the organization. And today we're going to talk about what if the ANA didn't exist? What does that mean for the average CRNA who's going into the OR and working every day? And hopefully we'll hit some topics that everybody will find interesting. And Randy, thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to have the conversation. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the things is we have a certain group of people that are not members of our organization. And I think it's important to know what would happen if this organization did not exist. And let me just start this off with a quote by my my program director from my anesthesia program at Wake Forest, Sandra Marie Ouellette, once said, without the American Nurses Association, there would still be nurses. Without the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, there would not be nurse anesthetists. Mm. And I believe that was very insightful of her. Yeah, Sandy says some pretty profound things, and she's been around and knows the ins and outs. But, you know, Randy, let's kind of talk about this at, at a beginning point here. And, you know, some people really don't think it's probably feasible that the ANA wouldn't exist one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us in this room hope that never happens. But mm-hmm. I really want to be able to paint a picture for that CRNA of what the ANA actually does for its members. You want to talk about that for a moment? Sure, I, and I would just to, to build upon Sharon's comments. You know, if it's clear to me, and I, I get that I'm a little biased, as CEO of the AADA, but <laughs> and it, that's okay. Yeah, we it, want you to be biased. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, we wouldn't be in this room having this conversation right now, right? The nurse anesthetist right. would have been eliminated a long time ago. And we, you know, I am a student of history, and I am fascinated by CRNA and AANA history. 
And one of the cool things about my job is that we have archives in the headquarters of the organization. And I frequently go up there. I'll have lunch. Sometimes I go up there to hide. But typically okay. I'll, I'll, go, <laughs> I'll go through the archives and I'll read about the history of the organization. And without the AANA, and I would say the state associations too. Absolutely. Obviously. And we had repeated attacks. And they were existential threats at a period of time where the physician stakeholders wanted to eliminate us from the provision of anesthesia care in this country. And it was touch and go for a period of time, if you look at the history. So it's pretty remarkable that we are here. And it's extremely remarkable when you consider the impact that we have on healthcare delivery in this country, right? We are the, unarguably the backbone of anesthesia care delivery. You know, over 50, almost 60,000 CRNAs in this country right now are in ORs and OBs and, and a variety of different studies providing anesthesia. And if you flip the switch right now and every CRNA decided not to go to work tomorrow, healthcare in this country would come to a screeching halt. Hmm. And sometimes we lose focus of that, right? And I think it's really important to understand the impact that we have on healthcare. And you talk about the role of AANA, and I certainly don't view, and maybe it's a little myopic on my, uh, from my perspective, I don't view my role as selling the organization, right? So, I mean, the organization should sell itself in terms of the work that we do. I'd certainly make sure that the story is being told and the work is being done. But we've noticed, you know, and I'm sure you've felt this, both of you have felt this in this meeting, look at the environment right now in healthcare and look at the pressure that's being placed upon our state leaders and our members who are in the ORs being confronted with some really interesting dynamics that's happening in healthcare. So there's never been a more important time to have an AANA. I, I really do believe that. And there's never been a more important time for us to have ourselves united and working collaboratively and cohesively because there's immense disruption in healthcare that's going on. And anyone who says that they know what healthcare is going to look like in 10 years is full of it. Mm, <laughs> I agree with that. You know, members identify advocacy as the largest piece of their organization, their expectations of their organization. Mm -hmm. So let's think about this. If the AANA didn't exist, who would advocate on behalf of CRNAs? Because we had, before we started taping, we had the discussion about how many people are truly active. And, you know, there's something about the Pareto principle and 80, 20, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think it's actually 10% of the yeah. people that do 90% of the work. But... If we didn't have advocacy, you know, at every single state level with state organizations, with our D.C. office, what do you think that would look like for us? We would be in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> we would be in deep trouble. If you look at, and, and again, it's going to sound like I'm selling and I'm not, but and Sharon, you know, as an advocate, as a professional advocate, and someone who's been in the trenches, that while there are things that we can do better, and we're working on in terms of the way that we advocate at the national level and probably even more importantly the way that we work with our states in assisting them on the opportunities and threats that are coming their way. There's no advanced practice nurse association that does what we do. None. Well, it, we have it, one I of mean, the not, largest not, not, Yeah, not to the level of resources, mm -hmm. not to the level of success, not to the level of passion. And I have immense respect for our advanced practice nursing colleagues. But we are the best of the best in terms of the way that we advocate. Well, if the AANA is not there, who is doing the advocating? Do you think the American Nurses Association would advocate on our behalf? 
not to clearly not to the extent or the efficacy that that we do and again that's not a dig at the ana they do a really important work uh, but their focus is much broader right exactly and our threats and our opportunities our challenges are unique to our specialty and there's no one who can advocate better for crnas than crnas um, people need to go back and li- listen to our agatha um, yes. podcast yeah. with Sandy and Nancy because they actually hit on a lot of these things about when our organization was being formed and how important it was for us to be our own entity. Right. Yeah. Randy, is there a lack of unity? You know, I've always heard this about the nursing profession, that there's yeah. a lack of unity. I mean, is that still the case today or now? Or are, are things kind of coming back to where you guys are bundling together at this point or has that changed a little bit we're trying and this is where i probably get myself in trouble by being too candid but yeah it is a challenge and you know i am a nurse and i'm very proud of the fact that i'm a nurse and i'm extremely obviously extremely proud of the fact that i'm a nurse anesthetist but one of the things that our colleagues maybe on the physician side of the equation do more effectively than we do is circling the wagons and firing outward Mm-hmm. And sometimes nursing, and, and I would say, even sometimes our specialty, we don't quite always get that right. And I think when you have a, a goal, right, you know, that's the key to getting things done, is right, find, identifying your North Star goals and then getting resources around that and messaging that, it's much easier to get things done. And I think sometimes we lose focus on what we're trying to do here within the organization. And we really are, from the AANA side of the equation, bringing in resources and realigning the organization. We're changing the organizational structure. We're bringing new talent in. And we're changing our operating model and really focusing on developing that North Star and communicating it to our members. Finding your why. Finding your why. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it is a challenge sometimes. And you look at... You know, our colleagues who are, you know, the nurse practitioners, the nurse midwives, the clinical nurse specialists, and then the registered nurses, they all have priorities too, mm-hmm. right? And we've all seen where there is legislation, let's say at the state level, and sometimes they have to make difficult decisions and say, eh, the nurse anesthetists. We're going to toss them and out. We're going to toss them out. And we can criticize that all we want. But we know at the end of the day what we would do if we were in their shoes. Absolutely. Right, right. I, I say that all If it's time. me or you, it's you. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, exactly. that's the way the ASA is functioning right now. Yeah. And honestly, I don't blame them because right. if it comes down to it, me or you, you're gone. Right. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. get it. So there is, you know, we do have this, and we do work, and I, I want to be clear that we do work very closely with our colleagues. And there are a variety of different things that we're collaborating on. But one of the things we have to be acutely aware of we, for us, we're going to have to do the heavy lifting. Right. And everybody yeah. has different goals and objectives depending upon what specialty you're in. So that makes a lot of sense, Randy. Yeah. So as we kind of talk through this, you know, I, I know you mentioned earlier the state associations, but, you know, I, my understanding is a portion of the dues that get paid into the ANA go back to the states as well. So mm-hmm. the ANA is also helping fund those states, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So if the ANA wasn't around, then in theory, states would feel the detriments of that as well. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I think our predecessors did a really good job, and you can criticize certain elements of the way that our bylaws are constructed or the way that the funding mechanisms are with the, for the states, but there is a very strong relationship between the states and the national because the national redirects a significant amount of funding back to the states to help them to help support their operational needs and their strategic needs and their advocacy objectives and 
that's been very effective, right? So if you, you know, a CRNA who is a member of the ANA pays $645 a year to the organization, we immediately turn around and send $232.50 of that back to your state. And well, then I think it's been calculated how much more per member is spent on each state. So right. it's, yeah. that's oh, yeah. the baseline number. Yeah. yeah. And above and beyond that, as you said, there's all kinds of services and products and expertise that we provide our states that's above and it is above and beyond that right and one of the things that this board my board this current year board has done is they've been very aggressive in terms of supporting states financially through strategic reserve grants so states who are playing offense right introducing Mm -hmm. legislation whether it's with scope of practice you know supervision or anything else we've been much more proactive and motivated to support them financially too so at the end of the day we have big fights at the national level right but the real fights, the substantive fights in terms of what's going to move the needle on advocacy for CRNAs, most of those fights are at the states. And all of mm. this would be gone if yeah. the A did not exist, unless you had, say, at the state level, somebody who could round people up and get money and right. try yeah, to move it. the needle forward. Mm-hmm. So this could be pretty catastrophic well it's huge i just wonder if most crnas know that a portion of their dues goes back to the states i think that was a great point there you know i think another we're going to have you kind of do some hypotheticals here mm-hmm. randy today my favorite, favorite thing. <laughs> but you know it, looking at this fight obviously and this is a huge fight between the asa and a and a if the asa were to have their way and you can kind of say you know this is what they want what do you think that would look like in this current environment? It's interesting. My perspective, and I, I talk and work relatively closely with my counterpart at the American Society of Anesthesiologists. He's a CEO. He's not from the industry, right? So he's right. not like me. I, I'm a nurse anesthetist. Sure. I, I, I came up through the profession, and I'm in this amazing role now. And I look at, and I try to put myself in his shoes. What are their objectives, and what are they concerned about? And I think their primary concern is, a, is somewhat similar to ours in that with this immense volatility and uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity that's going on in healthcare, how's that going to impact me? Let's say I'm an anesthesiologist. Mm-hmm. How's that going to impact me when there's this immense downward pressure on reimbursement? How am I going to fare in the marketplace? And we're already seeing significant modernization of anesthesia practice models in this country. And I think that's threatening to them. There's concern. What's my role going to be? It's been my position, and I articulate this to my physician colleagues, is there is more than enough work for everybody. Absolutely, mm-hmm. They just want to have one checkbook and give us a little spending money from week to week versus having two checkbooks. That's yeah. the way I look at it. Right. So I think it would be much more advantageous for them, and, and I'm certainly not in the business of giving ASA advice, but I'll do a little bit of this for free, is, <laughs> is to, to refocus your efforts on fighting a fight you can't win which is stopping the modernization of nurse anesthesia practice mm-hmm. in this country and focusing on fights you can't win mm-hmm. and using those Pretty resources. Pretty good advice. There. Because the train's left the station. And there's just too much economic pressure right now to have these antiquated conversations about you know, one to two, one to three supervision of CRNAs and what CRNAs can and cannot do. Those fights are a losing fight. Well, unfortunately, they are fighting a battle with 
both of their arms tied behind their back in a huge historical perspective with the patriarchal medical model that just will not give it up. Yeah. So they've got a lot of history there to overcome, mm-hmm. in yeah. my mind. Well, and, you know, we've had conversations, you know, about AAs and so forth, and AAs might be part of the answer that the ASA has gotten behind because mm-hmm. of, and we're going to come back to what you said a minute ago, how's that going to impact me, Mr. Anesthesiologist? You know, as they've kind of pushed AAs out into play, I mean, if they could develop this thing the way they wanted to, do you think that would be the anesthesia model that they would embrace and say, Mr. CRNA, we're sorry. Now we've got 50,000 AAs running around. We don't need you anymore. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Right? So I think the goal would be interchangeability between CRNAs and AAs. And I get the play. From my perspective, that's a losing play. And that if you look at, and this is not not a dig at AAs and, and certainly not a dig at the ASA, but I think in terms of what CRNAs bring to the equation, in terms of their versatility, their ability to, to bill independently, their ability to practice collaboratively and independently, we're going to consistently win in, the, in a marketplace that rewards that. So I do think the goal is interchangeability. The problem is that goal is unattainable. Right. I think that if you look at the fact there's almost 60,000 CRNAs in the marketplace, so it was a somewhat smaller portion of... Uh, 2,000. Yeah, right. So, the, and then 50,000 anesthesiologists, and then there's 2,000 anesthesiologist assistants. If you put that in perspective, I think it's going to be a long, rough haul for them to achieve that goal, and I don't think it's achievable. So, are you, tell, are you saying we really shouldn't worry as much about AAs at this point? I would say no, because I'd like to keep my job. What, what I would say, <laughs> what I would say is this: Look, I, and I, I was president of a state, and there's been talk for a long time about the introduction of AA and life insurance in Illinois, and I know that this is happening in other mm-hmm. states, and I know what it's like to be a CRNA and to be concerned about that, and know that from a training and education perspective, we're different, and we bring a different value to the marketplace and to the healthcare environment. So, no, the AANA is not taking the eye off the ball when it comes to this, and we're working very closely with our states. But I think at the end of the day, where we really make the progress and where we are currently making the progress, and there's more work to be done, to be sure, is our competitive differentiation is undeniable. Hmm. And even you look, compare us to our physician colleagues, and certainly with respect to our AA colleagues, is that we are not interchangeable. Right. Hmm. And we bring a certain skill set and competitive differentiation to the marketplace that is the reason why we're consistently winning in the marketplace right now. And again, yeah. if the AANA was not there. Yeah. I mean, we could talk to Randy about this stuff all day long because it really does interest me even as an outsider. But, yeah. you know, if the AANA wasn't there, I mean, you know, we had Mike McKinnon on yesterday, and, mm-hmm. of course, he's talking about AAs a lot. And one of the things he mentioned was a facility in New Mexico that had 40-some CRNAs working at it at one point in time. And now they have 41 anesthesia folks there but only one is a crna and 40 are aas yeah so you know maybe it couldn't happen on a broad spectrum across the united states maybe they're not going to catch up with the fifty-five thousand. but couldn't that happen in pockets and wouldn't that change the scope of practice for that individual crna that's down there working a w-2 job at a hospital 
couldn't they be affected by this in local markets? Undeniable. And it's happening. I mean, Mike apparently provided an excellent example of that, where they move from interchangeability to replacement. Yes. Right? So, yes. And certainly, if I was a CRNA in that environment, that would be very disconcerting to me, and I would not be happy about that at all. Sure. You can speak to having to sell everything you've got and move to another place and drag your children along. Yeah, been there, done that. (laughs) Yeah. So, here you have... Luckily, that was a choice for you. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But here there were 40 CRNAs who were displaced in a metropolitan area that in all likelihood have to move. Right. And that's not a good thing. Right. And clearly, when those things happen, it is a hugely consequential experience for not only the CRNAs who are impacted by that, but also the facility and then the state leadership because i know the state leadership bears that burden right, right? they hear from the members uh, we hear from the members too sure, so don't get me do. wrong but uh, <laughs> but the state leaders are in the front line of the battles i'll say and i tend to always almost always have take an optimistic approach to things and say yes okay these are the challenges these things are happening in pockets of the country right. where the interchangeability or even the replacement is occurring but that is a small percentage of what's really transforming Absolutely. what is really happening not really but what is also happening to a significant extent is the introduction of crnas into once we're all physician practices, practices moving away from antiquated medical direction models to more collaborative models. The momentum behind that is profound. Well, we did have the discussion yesterday, why does the AANA jump into these battles? And it's because it's a slip, it, it is a slippery slope. If you let one piece go, then that's a toehold for somebody else. For instance, we talked about pain management as an example. Even though, what, 1% of CRNAs practice pain management, we've really jumped into yeah, all of that because a, if, you let, if you let one piece go. So AANA has to address these issues no matter if they are small. While I appreciate you looking with the glass half full, the ANA has to jump in in these roles. Yeah. You know, I just kind of think about, in a broad approach, you know, what, what does the ANA do? And this is me speaking, obviously. But, you know, if I look at it, you know, CRNA research. I mean, you guys are out there promoting that practice and what CRNAs bring to the table. I mean, mm-hmm. who else does that? Yeah, who's going to tell our story? If it's who's going to tell right. your story? Yeah. Right, Sharon? Oh, she yes. Always says, I always you know, say that. You're not telling your story, somebody, somebody else, else is. is. So, That's right. You know, government affairs, again, who's telling your story on Capitol Hill? You know, you guys are doing that as well. Education for CRNAs and SRNAs. I mean, you're offering those options there. So I think if the ANA was, I mean, you've got the liability insurance program, which, as we know, has become a huge issue in the last couple of years mm-hmm. with several large carriers faltering and CRNAs right. getting stuck paying their own bills and a lot going along with that. So I think the ANA brings an incredible amount of value to the CRNA community. And I want to kind of switch it up and go back to what you said earlier from an ASA perspective. And I'm, you know, I'm an advocate for everybody doing what's right in their personal situation. But how's that going to affect me? And I kind of want to drill down on that for just a minute. You know, me being the numbers guy and oh, kind of the I finance know where this guy. this is going. Uh-huh. Tell um, me how much money I'm going to make or how much I'm not going to make. Well, well, yeah, and I think it needs to be put out there that, you know, without the ANA and if the ASA got what they wanted, how would that affect the individual CRNA around the country? And I really want to drill down because, you know, we've talked to thousands of CRNAs over the years. I've been doing this for 20-plus years. And the story is the same. 
you know, the story is I get up and I go to work to educate my children. Yes, I love what I do, but you know what? I want to pay for my house. I want to educate my children. I want to drive a nice car. I want to retire one day. I want to take vacations. And that all boils down to finances. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to kind of equate this back and say, well, if ANA didn't exist, and say in that scenario, like in New Mexico, that AAs took their jobs, what would happen to CRNAs? Mm-hmm. I know you've got some numbers for us. Well, yeah. I mean, your skill set, I mean, obviously, you could kind of pivot back and and you guys could go back and practice nursing as an RN and you you could go back into that environment. But financially speaking, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And that's really where I want to go to this. Randy, you got any thoughts about that before I throw some numbers at you? No, you've piqued my interest. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, here's just some base numbers. And, you know, I just used, I think the average CRNA salary, according to ANA's company, Compensation and benefit study is about 187 mm-hmm. or something right now. I just use 165 just because, you know, everybody's not going to make 187. I think that includes call pay and so forth. But if you did that, you look at $165,000 salary, that's $13,750 a month. If you've got the average RN around the country, they make $77,000 a year or $6,400 a month. You net out taxes and expenses, you know, the CRNA without holding money for retirement and health insurance, it's going to bring home around $9,200 a month. That RN is going to bring home about $4,600 after taxes. Big difference, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's about a 100% difference there. But here's what's interesting. As we find with the addition of the DMP program and students staying in school longer, they're borrowing more money. And we see that the average student loan debt is somewhere around the $180,000 mark coming out. Randy, do you know what the student loan repayment would be on a $180,000 student loan? $2,000 a month. Ah, he's pretty smart. Yeah, hey, he's a numbers guy, too. Uh, he is, he is. He's got to be a numbers guy, for sure. You're right, Randy. It, you know, if you just use standard repayment, it's $2,071 a month. So if you're a CRNA and you're practicing, and for some reason you can't practice as a CRNA, but you could go back and be an RN, you're on the hook for that $2,071 a month. For 10 years. For 10 years. And now if you're only bringing in $4,600 a month, would that change your lifestyle? Yeah. Absolutely it would change your lifestyle, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Huge difference. So, you know, if we look at other statistics and things along that line, you know, saving for retirement, you know, I just think about it from the goals of of our clients. You know, if you're saving, say, 10% of your income, you know, we'd love them to save 15, but at least 10. At $165,000, you grow that out, say, over 25 years at 7%, they've got a million one in retirement assets. At $77,000, same variables, 10% saving, 7% return. You've got $519,000. Again, would that change your lifestyle? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you kind of compound that in again, and I'm trying to get to the point here, which is it would definitely affect every CRNA out there if your income was cut. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if it's $10,000 or if it's $30,000 or if it's $50,000. What I find is that most people get used to the income they're used to living off of. And if you had a, even a small cut, they're not going to like that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that over a broader picture and say, you know, I'm going to work for 25 years as a CRNA, assuming no inflation, no increases in pay, the average CRNA is going to make a little over $4 million in their working lifetime. The average RN is going to make about $1.9 million. Mm. So again, 
dramatic differences if the ANA didn't exist and if AAs took their job and if the ASA got what they wanted, we think, what they want, mm-hmm. and CRNAs are no longer in the picture, that average CRNA out there, this would be detrimental to their life mm-hmm. and their lifestyle. Thoughts, Randy? Well, the math is compelling. <laughs> yeah. And now that I'm terrified. And disconcerting, yeah. Um, no, I, I hear you. I, and I, I think that sometimes we get comfortable, right? Right. I know what it's like. You know, I, I was in anesthesia school, and I had fell in love with the art and science of anesthesia, and I was perfectly content after I graduated anesthesia school to be a clinical CRNA, take care of my family, and develop hobbies, of which I actually have none. And, <laughs> and not it's called work. as CEO right. of AANA, you'll right. never have That was never on the radar, but I think some of us, and hopefully an increasing number of us, will become acutely aware of the fact that that's not enough, right? And that there has to be contribution back, right? We have to give back in some way, and it doesn't mean you have to run for a board of directors or you have to serve on a committee but contributing financially to your organization is a huge investment in your future and it's an easy investment and it's a small investment because that return on investment is huge as you just outlined right right but there's also opportunities to give back in, in many different ways you know i've talked to someone earlier to, uh, this week who who did a uh, went to their kids kindergartens and this is what a nurse anesthetist does that's huge yes that's huge to plant that seed in little kids or who volunteer for a committee in a hospital and elevate the awareness of executives about the role that we play in the facility that's huge and that's not a huge investment of your time but in aggregate over time it makes a major impact a ripple effect a ripple effect absolutely yeah well, I think it's extremely important even for the younger CRNAs or the SRNAs that are out there right now to understand this value of this profession. And I'm not saying they don't, but there's also a lot of risk out there right now for CRNAs. And opportunity, but opportunity always comes with risk. Right. And I think that's where we are at this point in the CRNA community. And getting across you know, what this actually means to them financially when they've taken this big leap of faith to go back to school and quit working for two or three years yeah. and stop making money and go into this profession, I think that you know this group needs to understand what the financial ramifications are that are of that as well. So. You know, well, for me, part of the reason why I felt compelled to be a member of my organization, besides the fact that Sandy Marie Ouellette would know somehow that I did not pay my dues and come after me. (laughs) She always says we all drink from wells we have not dug. Mm. So there's a huge historical perspective, and your goal should be to leave the profession at least as good or better than you found it. Mm. So I think that's a reason why I always go back. And I hope other people will do the same. But I do hear what Randy is saying. It is a large commitment to be involved. And I know there's a whole concept about micro-volunteerism. You don't have to – Jesus, can I add up all the years that I've been on boards, state level, national level? And not everybody wants to go down that path. And I have always said, if you even pay your dues – Yes, that's the minimal level of participation, but we need that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is good stuff, Randy. Anything you want to add? Well, I love the podcast. I think you guys oh, are doing well, great you. work. And I, I, these conversations are a lot of fun for me. And, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime. Well, thank you so much. <laughs>
All right. Well, Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I think it is. All right. Well, we want to thank you for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley. And and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. 